0: Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, happy to be back for another day. Hope you guys are as well. Really good show coming up today. Kent Youngblood from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk uh, go for women's basketball. Their season begins tonight. The new uh, the new era, the Don Plitz white era hired last spring after the dismissal of Lindsey Whalen. Slitza White with a lot of Whalen's top recruits now gets a chance to kind of showcase what she can do. She's been a very good coach for many years now coming into this program after one year at West Virginia, several years in South Dakota, a lot of dues paying before that. Can she get more out of this group? Can she take a talented roster, build on that? She's already brought in some of her own recruits as well. What will this team look like this year? What should the expectations be for a program that has really lagged in recent years? What can she get out of them? I'll be interested to see that, and Kent will help us break that down here. Like I said, in just a few minutes, got some Twins thoughts towards the end of the show about payroll, things of that nature. Got a Timberwolves thought, too. First, though, what did I miss? Start with the Wild today. Um, 1-4-2 against the Islanders last night. First time this year that they've strung together consecutive wins. Maybe bigger than that is how they did it, kind of establishing... More of their identity. I'm a big identity guy. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that gets overblown sometimes, but I believe that a team needs to know what their strengths are and play to those strengths to be a good team. I think that's, you know, not having a core identity leaves you vulnerable to all sorts of kind of variants, leaves you, leaves you just kind of wondering what you're supposed to be doing sometimes. And I think, The Wolves this year are a good example of a team that has found its identity and is playing to that. Their identity is defense, and their defense has been very good this year, maybe even better than very good. Best in the NBA so far, that is their identity. That's what they've been preaching since day one of camp, and it is showing so far on the court. The Wild, they know their identity. They know what they do well, right? They have to play kind of a uh, you know a tight checking four check kind of game get on the get on the counter get on you know establish possession in the other team's zone, play kind of a heavy physical game, limit mistakes, you know sound defensively when they get out of that when they get a little bit too fancy when they get a little bit too loose is when they get into trouble because it exposes some of their other weaknesses maybe they don't have as much skill as some other teams maybe their goalies aren't ready to handle the caliber of shots that come from kind of scramble type plays versus structured type of plays so part of what was going on for the wild and their tough start this year when they were three five and two is that they were not playing their system they were not playing their style they were getting away from their identity the identity that had worked very well for them last season even as their payroll was limited by those buyouts to to ryan Souter and zach parisi So this year, fast forward, they go down 3-0 early against the Rangers the other day. Um, Part of that's on Philip Gustafson, who's having a tough, 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 tough start to the season. Part of it's their identity, though. And they get back to it, though. They get back in the game. A lot of things go right in that game. They end up winning in a shootout. And then they maybe play one of their, one of, if not the most kind of complete, wild-like games of the year in their 4-2 win yesterday. And a couple things stand out from it. One. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury, goalie for the wild. You know, he's the veteran. He's the one that maybe you thought is not going to play as much this season. He's kind of, you know, some people might even think he's just kind of hanging on to pass Patrick Waugh for number two all time in wins. By the way, he's now just five away from passing Waugh after getting the win last night. But uh, guess what? They might need him. They're kind of, they're going to have to maybe lean on him right now while Gustafson figures things out. And he has been up to the task in these last two games, relieving Gustafson in that Rangers game, steadying the wild, getting them some better play in net, letting them rally and win that game, and then providing 27 saves, just two goals allowed. That is a solid effort in that win against the Islanders. So Marc Andre Fleury, maybe not done yet. Maybe they need him a little bit longer while Gustafson figures things out, or while they wait for Jasper Wallstead down in the minors. Now Wallstead, by the way, off to a good start this season down there with Iowa. Four and two, two point three five goals against average, nine nineteen save percentage. That will work Only a matter of time before he's here. But still, speaking of time, he's not even 21 yet. He'll turn 21 next week. He is still very young, very inexperienced. He will need a little bit more time, I would think, before they call him up. But he is sitting there waiting in the wings as an option if this doesn't get better. But Flurry. In the meantime, give them a settling presence, and he did that in this game. Number two, Pat Maroon continues to pay dividends. I didn't see the whole game, but I watched a lot of it, and I watched the highlights back, just the impressiveness of the first and last goals of the game keyed by, uh, by Maroon, and by the, he- by, by a pretty, like, heavy four check, a heavy, a heavy kind of style that he plays. The first goal, just, you know, right off the bat, 19 seconds in, four check, he gets a puck, uh, puck, you know, you know they, they get the puck in deep. He gets a shot um, you know, right away, and bang, it's in the net. 1-0 Wild. Then it's 3-2 in the third period. While trying to close it out. He and Joel eriksson combine to force a turnover. Maroon takes the puck away, feeds eriksson right in front of the net for a tap-in goal, essentially. And you can see some chemistry with those two. You can see that they play some of a similar style, but Maroon a real bargain, um, a real kind of another find by Bill Guerin, someone who's being deployed in a good way. Um, and, you know, on the on the color commentary, Lou Nanny could not stop raving about Pat Maroon in and his contribution in that game. So watch for his contributions going forward as well. And speaking of um, speaking of Lou Nanny, uh, Vinny Laterry, his grandson, new to the Wild, scores his first goal with the Wild in this game. Um, gets a big one for them, helps tie the game at two in the uh, in the second period. Helps the Wild get back into this game and and, and kind of go from there. Um, you know, shoot the puck was was his message to Vinny Letteri, but just a cool moment to see um, <clears throat> Lou Nanny be on the call on Bally Sports North when when Vinny Laterry scores his first goal for the Wild. So cool stuff right there for uh, for everybody involved and a, and a big win for the wild right that's they need they need to kind of stack some wins start feeling better about themselves and kind of establish their identity and again I'm an identity guy I want to see if they know what they do well and if they can stick to it because it's not always the most fun style to play right but you have to do what you are best at you have to know what your strengths are and you know what at the end of the day winning is a lot more fun than losing Wolves, by the way, announcing that Jordan McLaughlin, their uh, point guard backup point guard, out for at least four weeks will be reevaluated in four weeks. Sprained MCL in that win the other night against Boston, which is a shame because he got some run in a uh, you know in a game that was close in a kind of a regular rotation instead of a you know empty the bench scenario and was maybe giving them a slightly different look than what Shake Milton has given them so far this year. Milton not. Not playing his best so far. Struggling a little bit so far this season. McLaughlin was giving them maybe a different option sometimes to replace Mike Conley Jr. Instead, he is out. That means probably more Shake Milton. Probably means more Kyle Anderson running some point. Probably means some Nikhil Alexander-Walker kind of running the point or being an option, another ball handler, especially when Anderson is in the game. Diminishes their depth, though. Diminishes their options. Even though McLaughlin wasn't a heavy rotation player so far, wasn't really in that top eight or nine gives, he gave you a different look, gave you a different dimension, gave you some options. Now your options are a little bit more limited. You got to hope Milton gets going and or kind of piece things together when, when you're not getting those Conley minutes. And again, I think they feel like they addressed this more with the Milton signing, but they might be back to a spot where they're wondering what their point guard depth looks like, especially with McLaughlin out now for at least a month. Wolves and Pelicans tonight. Wolves have a chance to cap Maybe the most impressive homestand I've seen from them in a long time. They beat Denver, blew out Utah. Impressive win over Boston, that tight one the other night. Now they play New Orleans. A chance to cap this homestand before heading out to the road. Friday at San Antonio, Victor Yama, That'll be fun. And Sunday at, uh, at Golden State, who's playing as well as anybody. Steph Curry off to a huge start. So some fun road games coming up. But if they can cap this homestand at 4-0, that would be as good of a homestand as I can remember.
1: Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin.
0: Let's talk some gopher women's basketball with Kent Youngblood from the Star Tribune. Kent season begins Wednesday. And, you know, in the the swirl of everything that happens over the summer, you know, we I don't think we've forgotten, but man, it was a it was an interesting few weeks where, you know, seven, eight months ago, Lindsay Whalen departs. Don Plitzerwhite is hired as head coach. And She's able to retain a lot of the really good players that Whalen had brought in, but that you know that she couldn't translate that into success—at least not right away. So she gets a lot of those players. She gets to start with a pretty good roster. But it's kind of a fascinating point to begin a coaching tenure and a lot of kind of intrigue for the season, I would imagine.
1: Well, intrigue—I would just use those plain word interesting. Intrigue suggests yes. some sort of. You know, cloak and dagger. Okay. I, All right. All right. Well, interest
0: is good. That works. Yeah. You know,
1: um, I mean, she's not inherited. Usually when you come to a Division One job, especially one of the Big Ten, you're taking over. There's a reason. and You're taking over a program that has nothing. This team has quite a lot, I think. Um, uh, three of the four of that great recruiting class is back after having played massive minutes last year. The fourth member, Nia Holloway, is healthy finally will be coming off the bench initially. Um, you got Sophie Hart, who was a top 65 recruit two years ago, but has only played 25 games here. Uh, it's it's a very interesting mix of youth and experience. But on the one hand, they're going to start three sophomores, freshmen, and Sophie Hart, who's a junior but is petitioning to get a year back and has only played 25 games. And two of your top five, I think, bench players are young and a freshman from Wisconsin who's going to play the back backup post. who's was a very interesting story in her own right. And then, uh, Neil Holloway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough to win in the big 10 when you, when you're top, when you, with, with seven of your top eight or nine, are sophomores or inexperienced juniors. So on the other hand, they're very experienced. They went through a lot of ups and downs last year. I personally would have liked to have seen if Lindsay could have, what could have happened with that group in its second year, but we'll never know that. Um, Players tend to make big jumps from freshman to sophomore year in general. But, you know, maybe they will... uh, Respond to the structure that white uh, brings. I mean, she her teams play defense. There is a lot of organization. Some might say a lot of, uh, maybe too much organization. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, she is prepared, and I think her teams will be too. The question is, can they cut down on the mistakes that constantly killed them last year?
0: Will that preparation and structure? Will that be kind of the? the difference? Like, say, a fan showing up for their first game who watched a lot of the Lindsey Whalen era, how do you think that shows up on the court? Is it mostly defense? Is it just how they how they execute and run offense? How do you think her coaching style, her structure shows up on the court compared to what maybe we're used to?
1: Uh, well, sort of on the defensive end, um, Lindsey had some great rebounders, okay. but she never had a big, strong rim protector. And, and not necessarily a ring protector in the sense that if you come inside, you're going to get your shot blocked, but just like a big presence in the middle, like Sophie Hard. They haven't had that. I don't even remember the last time they had. Uh, they will play defense. If they don't play defense, they won't play. Yeah. Uh, on the offensive end, you're going to see a lot of motion, a lot of ball movement. And they, but, they've got to cut down on the turnovers. And I think that's a, been a big point of emphasis all summer long. I think that's a process that's not, you don't just snap the fingers and stop turning the ball over. They turned the ball over a lot last year and they can't do that anymore.
0: That almost sounds a little bit like the Pam Borton era, not to invoke well, it, a name, but it's, it's kind of feels like stylistically like some of those kind of roots a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, generally, you know, I didn't cover Pam a whole lot, so yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, I mean that collection of talent that was there for the Final Four yes. run was inherited, right?
0: Yes. Um,
1: and it was, you know, you had two top four draft picks on that team. Yes. Um, and so, but uh, you know, in in, rec- in in subsequent years, they I think they continued to play defense, but the offense at times struggled. And you had yeah. Stallings come in, and it was. It was almost Tarkanian in the way they played offense. Yes. But there was no defense. And so yeah. I think uh I think I think this is gonna be kind of like a, a mixture of the two. Um, okay. I think it's gonna start with defense and by taking care of the ball. And but but I think there's a lot of offensive talent there too.
0: You wrote a big profile on Plitz White that was in the paper just a few days ago, kind of setting up the season, but also telling a little bit of her story what you know you've always or obviously got to know her a little bit already before that story but we what did you what did you learn there that was interesting what do you think you know kind of she brings specifically like background wise or otherwise to this equation
1: yeah um there's a lot of loyalty in her past she coached for years with the coach who coached her in college she has maintained a, a coaching staff continuity, uh, so there, there's not a lot of uh, there's there's not a lot of panic or or change in her past. Uh, I think that's pretty strong. Uh, she succeeded everywhere she's been, with the possible exception of that um, experiment at Michigan, that four or five season experiment. At Michigan, when I think she was associate head coach to Borasat. And Borseth said, "I've had enough of this. and went back to Green Bay, um, but I think they made tournament at least once in that run." Okay. So I see. I just see a lot. I mean, you know how in every sport it seems like every new coach is like the opposite of the last. Yes. Coach, yes. You know, and the last coach was an incredibly great human being, good recruiter, Hall of Fame player. Who had never coached, who had never coached even as an assistant coach at any level ever. And now you have somebody who is like the epitome of dues having been paid. Yeah. You know, she coached as as an assistant at Division One level. She went to Division Two and won a championship. She came back and coached as an assistant in the Big Ten. She's coached at mid-majors, and then she went to West Virginia. Now here, I mean. She's got. She's a fifty-one-year-old some uh, player who's uh, or a coach who has is thirty years of dues paying as a coach. I mean, it's it's, it's so diametrically opposed to yeah. what it was. But that's always the case, right?
0: It is the rule of opposites, right? You went from Zimmer, Zimmer to O'Connell. You know, you went from you know, Kill and Clay's to P.J. Fleck. It's it it's just kind of the it's just the the way things go, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, and it's always funny how fans of these programs will always. You know, like I remember when Zimmer was going to an FC title game, boy, he's a plain spoken, no BS guy. Right, right. Like it is. And at the end, he was a guy who undercut his players. Right. He was too honest about them. Yes. Yeah, the, narrative, so. the
0: narrative changes when the wins change to losses. Yeah. That is true. That um, is for certain.
1: I have, I have heard some people describe this situation with as having a lot of similarities to win, Brenda Oldham then Oldham took Oldfield, over Oldfield, yeah. Little Oldfield took over for Cheryl Little John.
0: Yeah,
1: in the sense that you had somebody who knew what the heck they were doing coming in and taking some existing talent and taking it to the next level. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair to 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 make draw too many comparisons because I think Lindsay was a better recruiter, better coach than Charles John, but. It will be interesting to see what a bunch of talented kids who have a lot of experience in their first year can do in terms of taking a jump. And you have a, a couple of players who had great summers. I mean, Mara Braun won a U23, 3 and 3-on-3 three championship and they beat the U20. She was on the U21 team that beat the U23 USA team on the way wow. to doing it. So, I mean, she's got a ton of confidence. She's the first true freshman since Rachel Bam to lead the Gophers in scoring. Okay. Um, I would imagine she would take a huge jump. Uh, you have a point guard who did everything pretty well last year except shoot and turn the ball over, and she's changed her shot, and has pledged to not turn the ball over. And then you have Mallory Heyer, who had five double-doubles last year, the most by a freshman in six years. Okay, So, I mean, there is talent there. I guess we'll see how good this uh, freshman from Wisconsin Gruchowski, is, but she's had a very good summer. Very, was supposed to have a great shot, and then you have Sophie Hart came back home to play center for the Gophers. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting five.
0: In this era of transfer portal movement on all sides, how did how did White get these players to stay? You know, I mean, they easily could have said, "Nah, you know what? We were recruited by Whalen, that was our coach," but they didn't. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, but, you know, they said from the very start, that group of four, that they wanted to, as a group, put the Gophers back on the map. And that's been their message ever since. And so in that, in that sense, I'm not surprised. Um, because they're all pretty high-character kids who don't seem like the kind of kids to bail the minute things get tough. And I think they enjoy being together. They're still t- they're still roommates, and it's it would have been pretty hard to enter the transfer portal and move en masse someplace. So, I'm not surprised they stayed. What was impressive was that uh, White flipped a couple of commitments from West Virginia to Minnesota. Uh, added a pretty pretty good little experienced guard and Janae. Uh, I don't know why I can't think of her second her last name right now of uh, from Appalachian State, who I think will provide some depth and experience at that as a graduate transfer. Um, it's just too bad that uh, Kennedy Click was hurt this summer because I had heard she'd had a great summer and would have been one of their best perimeter defenders. But uh, I think the opportunity is there. But you know, in the Big Ten, it's like in the Western Conference of the NBA. Everybody says, well, they should be a top four. Well, then tell me who they're going to leapfrog. Right, right. Everybody says, well, this Gopher team should be top half of the Big Ten, but let's see who they can leapfrog to get there. Because I don't think that's very easy to do in a very, very deep and tough count.
0: Pretty soon, top half of the Big Ten might be ninth place, too, by the way, once we get all those teams in there.
1: The last year, seven Big Ten teams went, so the top half of the conference went.
0: Is that a yeah. realistic is that a realistic expectation then this year? A realistic aim that they could be a tournament team this year?
1: I think it's a realistic aim. I would not be surprised if they go to the conference tournament needing to win a game or two.
0: Yeah, seems fair. And that's here again this year, right?
1: Yes, it is. As
0: is Gophers against UConn, I think that's the nineteenth, a couple Sundays from now. That should be Fun from a number of standpoints. One, you get to just do you know, one of the all-time programs, one of the all-time coaches, and Page Beckers, of course. But you know, the Gophers, is a chance for them to kind of an early measure of of where they are. I don't do know what the expectations are, but certainly a game where they can say, "Okay, here here's where we stand right now. Here's here's what our effort looks like against one of the best programs."
1: I would agree with you that we can say, "Here's where our effort stands." But- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, this program is not at a, at a place yet. Even if they had all the talent in the world, they will not have had enough playing experience under their belt under a new coach, I think, to compete. But I could be wrong. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a you know, Mara Braun and Paige played a lot against each other in high school. Right. Um, it was uh, not a real super big blowout down in the Bahamas a couple of years ago until late. I mean, they were competitive for a while. But um, uh, I mean, it'll be it'll be an event, right? I mean, they've already sold out the lower bowl. Yeah, it could sell out the game. Um, there'll be a lot of kids there watching, um, and I think if the Gophers did acquit themselves well, it would be not, even in a loss. I think that would be nothing but a plus for the program.
0: I get the sense that fans are pretty in intrigued, interested, however you want to put it, by the the possibilities here. I think you know everybody was excited when they hired Lindsey Whalen. And, you know, I think that, that tenure was hardly a disaster, but it didn't turn out the way they wanted to. And whether you think she should still be here or not, I think there is, you know, there was a realization that the product you were seeing on the court wasn't quite matching what you wanted it to look like. And maybe a different coach can get something different out of this. So I, I sense some, some fan interest right now.
1: Yeah. I think the fan interest, I, I mean, with the exception of the, Connecticut game, there aren't a lot of great non-conference home games. I mean, do you want to spend – I mean, that's. I should step back. I don't think a heck of a lot of people are going to show up for games against Long Island University. You know? No, right. Um, but when you have a new coach, that's not a bad schedule to have either to get some mileage in with your new systems against teams that, that aren't really great. Um, but yeah, I think there's some interest. Uh, I'll be very interested to see what kind of uh, ticket sales they have, especially if they have a nice, strong start. Uh, I think that uh, people are intrigued by the experience that this coach and her staff bring. Uh, it was only two years ago they com- that that staff is coming off of Sweet 16 uh, birth. So, yeah. I'm interested. I'm in. I'm in. I, I'm. I'm intrigued. Even though there's not intrigue, Plitz <laughs> White seems like, you know, you just you kind of get these coaches
0: to become the face of the program, and it doesn't. You don't know it right away. It just kind of it happens with winning, with longevity. But she seems like she has the right ingredients to kind of be that person here. Now the question, though, is this is her third school in three years? Is like, is this? exactly where she wants to be forever i don't we don't know that right now but like where, where do you think her what do you think her aspirations are and do you think you know before she's even coached a game she, she just feels like she has that kind of potential here like you look at minnesota and you know you know in 12 years that's that could still be their head coach
1: yeah uh well i mean if you look at her history she's only left quickly once yeah you know i mean and and who can blame a coach After putting in, what, five, six seasons, taking a mid-major to the Sweet 16, who can – of course you're going to take a a Power Five offer if one comes because that's what your goal presumably is. Now, she did leave there after one year, but it was to come back to the Midwest, which is where she professed to want to be, uh, in a conference that's only going to get more prestigious as the years go by, but also more difficult. Sure. the Big 10 is a top to bottom of far spirit commerce to the Big 12, in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, it's not like she's been uh, like a a, a a hopscotching coach. I mean, sure. she stayed years in Division Two. She stayed for years in an assistant to Borisov. She spent years as the head coach of South Dakota. She only left after a year at West Virginia. That was the only time that she really did that. Yeah. But it is her third job in three years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested as well. I'm just, I mean, it's a new coach. You want to see what's, what's going on, and it, it all starts Wednesday, and you know, plenty of good looks along the way. And you're right, the Big Ten will be the real test, in, in Connecticut too. But you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a different, it's a different era. It's a new era, but you want to see kind of what a, what a new coach gets with some of the same players, and not necessarily that. That's not even necessarily referendum on whaling or anything she was doing. It's just like, what What does this look like when it's a little bit different?
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. I think the women have the potential to be far more interesting than the men. Over yes. at it. Yeah, I would and, say and that. I think, and I still think there's a, a real strong kind of latent fan base for the women out there that could really come alive if something special happened. Yeah. Minnesota by Minnesota fans, by definition, are Band jumper, bandwagon jumpers, anyway. Yes. But they support winners. But if this team were to kind of raise some eyebrows, I think they might get some fans in that barn to watch. Yep.
0: Them. I would agree, especially with a lot of Minnesotans playing key roles on the team. Well, like well, I said, four of the
1: five starters are going to be Minnesota. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's. And the that. other one,
1: and the, and the fifth is from uh, is a three hour drive away.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of. Uh, a lot of locals And, in. and then
1: if, if you look at the second 10, two of the five, um, Susano and uh, Nia Holloway, yeah. are from Minnesota, and the other one is from uh, Madison area of Wisconsin. So this yeah. is a very strong Midwestern makeup on this roster.
0: It is, which reminds me a little bit of some of those teams 20 years ago. And ironically, you I mean, you brought up Little John. Little John's the one that recruited Whalen. It's all full circle, yeah. right? And... Uh, mccarville Carville, yeah great uh great and, uh,
1: and and that swedish gal whose name i can't recall i mean she recruited all of them
0: and she just couldn't coach him that well but hey it's a story for another time we'll get into that later leg you know, interesting season coming up kent will have you covered for it all year long kent young let appreciate it uh let's do this again soon
1: all right thanks for your time
0: Good stuff from Kent, as always. That gopher game is 7 o'clock tonight against Long Island University at Williams Arena. Um, some better matchups ahead, including that UConn game on the 19th, like I said. But this will be our first look at what they look like in the Don Plitzel-White era, and I am intrigued by that, even if Kent would use the word interested. Let's finish with the cooler. Not really a surprise. The Twins have kind of hinted at this or said it in so many words already, but Star Tribune baseball writer Bobby Nightingale Jr. down at the general manager's meetings in Scottsdale, Arizona, talking to Derek Falvey, Twins uh, Chief Baseball Officer. Falvey reiterating, saying for the record that yes, payroll is expected to be lower next year than it was this year when the Twins had a team record $156 million payroll. Now, how you define why that is is probably multiple complex part of it is that they won't be as there won't be as much tv money with the with the bally sports deal Finishing with the unknown of what the next contract will be and how much money they'll yield from it. Part of it is as Falvey says that they're they're gonna be playing some younger players and they just naturally won't have as many of those veterans. Now that they know what they have in some of these younger players, they won't be signing as many veterans, won't be having those higher payroll guys playing, you know, kind of the some of those key spots. But it does decrease your margin for error. It does, you know, it if you wind up with the payroll around 130 million instead of 155 million, that's 25 million dollars right there and you might say, well, too bad they can't go sign a guy like Joey Gallo. That's really going to hurt. Yeah, I get it. Gallo was not a great signing that did not work out, but it decreases your margin for error. It means that the signings you do make, the players you do have have to produce. You have fewer options when there's injuries, when there's surprise Under production, things like that, and I just still wonder what the rotation is going to look like. Is it going to be as top heavy and as deep as it was this year? Which are two great things to have in a rotation. You know, if they if they aren't able to sign Sunny Gray, which it sure seems like they won't be, what does that look like? How does it look if a guy like Matt Wallner has a has a second year slump? How does it look if Edward Julian doesn't produce like he did this year? Royce Lewis might take, you know, not a step back, but he might not produce in the same way he did last year. What do you what do you have to cover for that? You know, what do you have to to, you know, cover for the unexpected? You know, they were counting on Jose Miranda last year to be productive. They had a lot of veterans that could cover for that when he wasn't. What does that look like next year decreases your margin for error if you have less payroll? That's been the story of the twins for the last twenty years for uh, more or less as they've kind of tried to compete but still you know still lacking the sort of margin for error that some of these big payroll clubs have and if it's less this this coming year than it was last year, that could be an issue as well as they try to repeat as al central champions and go further even in the playoffs than they did a year ago. That will do it for me today. Good stuff coming up tomorrow. Chip Scoggins, a special appearance for him. Really big story that he is working on that comes out in Thursdays, uh, starttribune.com. And in Sunday's paper, I will pick his brain, talk to him about that. Uh, But you'll definitely want to listen to that one. Until then, I am Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.